0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're finishing up in Matthew 7. We've taken a bit of time in Matthew 7, and I'll just tell you point blank why I have. Matthew 7 really changed my Christian life, gave me a new outlook on my Christian life, and I'm hoping it'll do the same for some other listeners, so I've spent a little extra time on Matthew 7, a lot more than I will on some other parts of the Gospel of Matthew, but let's go for the resounding conclusion to Matthew chapter seven, which is also the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. Starting in seven and verse 15, beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil doers. Wow, talking about coming on strong, Jesus certainly did. And what Jesus is warning about is that there is going to be false prophets and phonies in the church, not just the first century or the second or third century, but every century, including our century. So when you see, no matter if you're a Protestant or a Catholic, you're gonna have phonies in your church. You're gonna have false prophets. Jesus is telling you how to recognize them. And it's not like you need to bail because there's phonies or false prophets in your church, but that how to recognize them to discern the true from the false. And when Jesus says, beware, that means beware. You know, the (laughs) Ten Commandments, there's only 10, but there's only one of them that says, remember, and that's the one everybody forgets. Do you know which one that is? Do you go shopping on the Lord's Day? Well, we won't get into that today. (laughs) Beware of false prophets means to beware of false prophets. They don't look like false prophets. They don't sound like false prophets because they're in sheep's clothing. They're false. And it's interesting that St. Paul, who basically evangelized the Roman Empire as we've known it back in the first century, the key, one of the key churches in the book of Acts, as well as the key church in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, when you have the seven churches, Ephesus was a key church. It was a church where the apostle John and the blessed Virgin Mary were residing just outside of town overlooking the city of Ephesus. So this is a, a good place And yet Paul called, he was out of town, but he called the elders from this church in Ephesus to him, and then he gave them a warning, the same warning that Jesus gave. And St. Paul says, I have been serving you, serving the Lord, with all humility and tears with the trials which befell me. So one of the marks of a true prophet is humility. That's St. Paul. One of the marks of a true prophet is to be poor in spirit, which is the same as Jesus saying that true humility that God gives the human heart instead of pride. So a pride, self-focused, boastful, religious person is a mark of a false prophet, according to St. Paul and to Jesus and Paul to the Ephesian elders, warning them again of the fierce wolves that were gonna come in among them. It's the same thing that Jesus was warning about. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, uh, we're gonna skip over some of the hard parts. I mean, this is a survey of the Gospel of Matthew. I'm not going systematically through it, and I haven't gone through systematically the Sermon on the Mount I'm just giving you what I think is the most life-changing part, namely, that you need to listen to what Jesus says in the entire Sermon on the Mount, or you, me, and anyone else, especially those who are proclaiming God's Word and explaining God's Word, need to pay attention and do it. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And so, wolves in sheep's clothing, there's a particular warning for those... uh, Christian groups, uh, Catholics, Anglicans, uh, some Lutherans, and others where the ministers or the priests wear clerical clothing. And a lot of people think, well, I see the clerical collar. That means they're the true man of God. Well, I'm hoping at 95 percent of time, that's absolutely true. But Jesus didn't say just because they wear clerical clothing They're they're true prophets. They're true pastors, because he says they come to you in sheep's clothing. The wolves do. So you have to use discernment. You can't turn the discernment button off at any point in church history until Jesus literally returns to this earth. Now, the thing about 21st century prophets, in fact, prophets in any age— There were also false prophets invading the Catholic Church, because that was the only one around back then, invading the Catholic Church before the last apostle died. St. John wrote the book of Revelation, commonly understood to be the last book composed of the New Testament books of the Bible. And in chapters 2 and 3, he has letters from Christ to the seven churches And most of them have been already invaded by false prophets. Uh, Ephesus, it's very interesting. That's the reason I just pulled the warning of St. Paul out of the book of Acts. Ephesus seems to have resisted some of these false prophets, although in the process of doing so, they lost their first love. So it's possible to be very orthodox and maybe little overly orthodox, and, and lose that charity, which needs to be part of your doctrine, your living doctrine. And Jesus says even to Ephesus that uh, basically I'm going to remove your candlestick. I'm going to put your lights out. I'm going to remove you unless you repent. But the other churches were worse off, and they had things called the teachings of Balaam, or the teachings of the false prophet Jezebel. Now, there wasn't a false prophet by the name of Balaam going around in Asia Minor in the first century, nor was the prophetess Jezebel in one of the churches, or one or more of the churches in the first century. These were names of Old Testament false Prophets and prophetesses. Okay, and basically what they did is a twofold design: idolatry. And you could say, well, that that's not uh, people don't go around worshiping you know stone pillars anymore and stuff like that. No, idolatry is a perverted religion, a religion that just misses who the true God is and subverts something in its place. And as soon as you do that, for instance, putting the creature in place of the creator, then what you have also is sexual immorality. Uh, probably the best uh, picture of this in the Old Testament, children of Israel liberated by God in the great exodus. I mean, what's, I mean, you would think, wow, after that, I'm going to be a faithful disciple of the great God of Israel who delivered us from Pharaoh and everything else, and they're barely dried from going the, the water spraying around because they walked on dry ground, the Bible says. But when they get into their camp, Aaron takes their jewelry and makes a false god, and then all of a sudden it's Mardi Gras. In other words, they were trying to worship God in some kind of perverted way with this idol, and yeah, we still worship God too, and Uh, He's going to give us all the goodies of Egypt, plus have this new God that delivered us. And then as soon as they did that, basically the sexual immorality started. And so sexual immorality promoted by false prophets is something that was done consistently from the first days after the Exodus, right through the Old Testament, And then Jesus warns about it. The apostles warn about it. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, they're already invaded and they're tolerating this type of thing inside their churches. And so you say, well, I just, you know, I I want a perfect church, just like the first century. Well, the first century wasn't a perfect church. 21st century isn't a perfect church. And What you need to do, since we don't live in perfect churches, is to use the discernment that Jesus winds up the Sermon on the Mount for. And unfortunately, there's a ready market amongst God's people throughout century after century. This is not a modern phenomenon. This was not a phenomenon in the first century. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Several centuries before even the time of Christ. Isaiah 30 and verse 9, God says, For they are a rebellious people, lying sons, sons who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not to us what is right, speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. You think, oh my, what a bunch of jerks, you know, refusing to hear the truth, picking just what you want to hear, telling the prophets, and a role of a prophet isn't to like as much predict the future as to shock the people of God back to faithfulness who have lost their way. And here they're saying to the prophet, no, just just give us um, encouragement to continue our selfish and sinful ways. That leads to destruction. And this goes on. This, this doesn't end with the centuries before Christ. This goes on in the early church, and it goes on in today's church. The thing is, you don't listen to the false prophets, and when a, a prophet says something you don't want to hear, you don't turn off your radio, you don't switch churches, you don't say, I'm never going to buy a book from that guy again. You say, you know what? We really needed to hear that, and that takes humility, and that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, right along with the false prophets are what I call charismatic phonies, and I don't mean by charismatic phonies to be putting down the charismatic movement that's going on through the world. That's, I, I have uh, no problem with the charismatic mu- movement whatsoever, but some people have very great charismatic gifts— that are misused. But let me start with the phonies part. Not that long ago, a bishop I heard give a rather striking homily where his opening words his homily were, quote, there are way too many phonies in the church today, unquote. And I go, whoa, I haven't heard this from a bishop. And then he went on to describe the different places you find phonies in the wider church, but he says, and it doesn't uh, exclude the hierarchy, even bishops like myself, that you need to be genuine, you need to be authentic, and you need to be living the message you speak about. And then he went on to say, how he takes personal involvement before a man becomes a priest under his care to make sure that man is tested, he's prepared, he's genuine, and get an insight into his character. And I go, wow, how good is this? But charismatic phonies, um, they're phonies, but just because they're phonies doesn't mean they may not have some great gifts. They might be great speakers or great writers or the ability to get people all fired up and enthusiastic about something. In other words, they have real dynamic Christian gifting because you remember what these men said? uh, On that day, Jesus said, many, And when you read Jesus saying many, I'll give you an insight to what that means. Many, a lot. This isn't a minor problem. This isn't a a problem just like here and there, but it says, didn't we prophesy in your name? And I realize that a lot of people don't believe in the gift of prophecy went beyond the first century. I personally do, but, um, you know, Whatever, leave it to that. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's a real gift, the gift of being able to exercise demons or do many mighty works in your name. In other words, these guys uh, and women were outstanding in their gifting. And you might say, uh, if anybody's going to heaven, it's so and so. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I mentioned to you last episode a Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a physician turned evangelical preacher, and and, uh, he basically took what I call a timeless Christian approach to the Sermon on the Mount. Like, in other words, this is real stuff. This is the center of what it means to be a Christian. This is the center of Christ's preaching, And when it came to the charismatic phonies, the ones with great gifting and everything else, and even the false prophets, he says this, the ultimate test of all. In other words, you wanna cut through the charismatic phonies, even though they're doing great things, casting out demons, prophesying, uh, riveting speakers, um, compelling writers or whatever. He says the ultimate test of all is humility. Again, back to the first line of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, Humility versus self-confidence, self-assurance, reliance on personality full of fervor with a focus on self. Um, These are the two ways. These are the two ways uh, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, as we approach the end times, everybody will say, well, you know, I'll, I'll get what's going on, uh, uh, you know, when even precursors to the Antichrist come, I'll get that. That'll be so obvious. Now, and that's not what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise, okay? Jesus is predicting that they will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, the elect. In other words, this is going to be strong stuff. And just because they can be greatly gifted at root, they may not know, really know God, who he is, what he wants. The root is focused on self. Now, the real danger of this If you look at Matthew 7, 22 and 23, I just read to you, the many, many, and these would be Christian leaders. Today, this would be radio hosts like me, conference speakers, writers, uh, priests, bishops, you name it, everybody who in some way is exercising a gift, but These are Christian leaders. It says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that in your name? They're baffled. They're truly baffled. And here's the danger of being a religious phony. It's the danger of self-deception. In other words, these people, yes, they were deceiving people listening to them, even though they were false prophets even though they weren't bearing fruit and such. But their deception, the ultimate deception, was right upon themselves. It's maybe a mystery to them. And many are going to say when Jesus comes back, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff for you? Didn't we serve you? Didn't we give our our service to you? Didn't we do this, this, and this, and that? I never knew you. I never knew you. And I go back again to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he nailed it, because why he did nail it, he just took the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that humility. Going back to St. Paul, when he talked to the Ephesian elders, he began saying what he did, but in all humility, he came to them, not as a bigwig, but as an apostle, um, one who had been rejected and persecuted, and suffered, but he was the one that humbly served the church of Ephesus and wanted to keep it on the straight and narrow. So phonies are in great danger today, today with the internet, because uh, phonies, particularly traveling phonies, it's interesting to dedicate that early uh, manual for the early church. It's kind of like how to do stuff, so to speak. And the danger was these traveling false prophets, uh, they would come and give a prophecy like, you know, give me money. And the dedicate said, well, it's probably not a good idea. You probably have a false prophet on your hand, so to speak. But somebody comes from out of town, you don't know them. When somebody comes from out of town, like I've gone all over the place in North America to conferences, how do you know that I just didn't show up and I'm a phony? Uh, You're gonna have to talk to my kids. Okay, my wife, this is uh, how do you actually live your life? And it's even worse with the internet because with the internet, it's not just a traveling phony, but you can create a virtual reality that doesn't match your life. And this is happening left, right, and center. And again, the people who are deceived by this are the ones, deceived the most are the ones doing it. Lord, Lord, how come? Well, we did all this stuff. And they believe their own hype, so to speak. And Christ says, I never knew you. And again, back to Dr. Martin Roy Jones. And I think this is a very interesting quote. And again, he's an evangelical, but listen to what this evangelical preacher said. This brings us to the vital principle which underlies all causes of self deception. The root trouble, even among good evangelicals, that means you evangelicals listening, listen up, it's our failure to heed the plain teaching of Scripture. And he goes on to say, well, you know, we nod and we believe all Christian doctrine, but then it says, when we come to the practice of it, we often fail to take the Scriptures as our guide. Uh, Here's just a a little one. hell. (laughs) If you just read the New Testament, like people say, I don't know, uh, you know, father so-and-so doesn't believe in hell, or bishop so-and-so doesn't believe in hell, or author so-and-so doesn't believe in hell. Okay, just just read the four Gospels. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to know Greek. It's very, very plain. Uh, But yet, according to a Barna poll. Just 1% of American adult singles believe that they're going to go to hell. And, you know, John the Baptist came out saying, you better repent or the chaff, the Messiah, is going to burn in unquenchable fire. That's everlasting fire. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 13 says, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom out of his churches all causes of sin and evildoers, and throw them into the furnace of fire, and their men will weep and gnash their teeth. He who has ears, let him hear. That's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? But let me mention this. Catholic priests have a great advantage over Protestant ministers. I haven't ever been a Catholic priest, so I can't speak first person to that, but I have been a a Protestant minister, and I can speak to that. Not only a Protestant minister, but a church planter, in other words, starting a new congregation. And one of the real, real, real dangers, and I say this as a, uh, a friend to Protestant listeners, is the practice of what is commonly termed church shopping. Uh, Well, We're we're unhappy with the church we're attending, so we're going around, and, and the phrase that many of my evangelical friends will use were church shopping. That is so wrong, and particularly if your pastor is saying something you don't want to hear, stay there because that's the kind of pastor you need to have. You want one that tickles ears? Well, then they're, they're a dime a dozen. And Catholic priests generally don't have as much trouble as long as they have a strong bishop to back them up. It's not like you can church shop from Catholic to Protestant to Anglican to Orthodox or whatever else. Um, you have the advantage over your Protestant counterparts. And all I could say is take Jesus at his word and the Sermon of Mount You'll be in great shape. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 437 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.